Tim Blankenship here again, Divorce661's Daily Perspective. This is episode five. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the names you should use when you go to file for divorce. Uh, we're going to talk about how keeping the home post-divorce can be messy down the road. We're going to talk about what a minute order is, what to do if you are trying to get spousal support and you're filing a default without an agreement. What's that process going to look like, especially if you don't know where your spouse is? And then we're going to talk about fee waiver updates with the court. So again, we're doing these uh, daily uh, videos going over uh, clients' uh, issues, clients that I'm working with, things that have come up in the hopes of helping you guys get through your process, your divorce process, and obviously getting the word out. If you do need help with your divorce, I'm certainly here to assist you. So let's get right into it. So what names, this is number one. What names should you use when you file for divorce? The question that came in today is that there was a difference between the names on, say, the marriage certificate versus the names on your driver's license. So when you file for divorce, the what I recommend you do is file in the name that's on your driver's license, because when you go to sign your final paperwork, you're going to have to get a notary. And if the names don't match, it's going to be an issue. If they're slightly off, like if one, like say the marriage certificate has first name, first, middle, and last, and then your driver's license just has first and last, that's not going to be so much of an issue. But in this particular case today, the the, na the last name was uh, totally dropped off of the uh, driver's license somehow. So what we're going to do in those cases is use the driver's license name because otherwise they're not going to be able to notarize your paperwork and it's going to be an issue. And if the names are completely different, you can always file using an AKA. Um, don't worry about if it's the, if the middle, na middle name. What we're talking about is the last name being different. Uh, last month, we had a case where I guess in their country, the last name changes once you become married. So they had a name that was very, they had one name as their last name and then another last name that was very similar, but it ended in A versus S. There was just a little change to it. So in that case, we did an AKA because their IDs were all over the place. Their passport and um, social security card had one name or driver's license had another and some other form of ID had yet another name on it. So we wanted to make sure there was no issue so you can file with an AKA. What you don't want to have happen is that you can't get your final divorce paper notarized because you don't have ident identification in that name. Number two, when keeping your home post-divorce can be messy. So we're talking about, and I've been talking about this a lot, where clients are deciding to get divorced, obviously, but then keep the house jointly for a period of time, whether that's to rent the house out or to uh, one of them might be living in the house for a period of time. Say perhaps they want the, you know, their minor child to grow up in that house. And then when they turn 18, they'll sell. Um, so we're having a lot of those types of um, agreements going together, or even when people want to buy out the other spouse, but they don't want to do it at today's interest rates that are nearing 8% because they have a nice two and a half or 3% interest rate. So they're going to hold on to the property for a little bit and then decide to sell. The reason I say that this can get messy and you can totally do this, but it can get messy if you don't have 
some other built-in terms to that. So if you have a, an agreement that you're both going to keep the house, and, and let's say we say parties agree to uh, co-own the home and decide to sell it at some time in the future, that's fine. The court will sign that. But what happens when one of you decides you do want to sell it and the other does not? Um, you need to have something, some built-in trigger. Maybe you have a time period that you'll you'll meet and confer on a on an annual basis to discuss the you know the desire to sell the home and if the following conditions exist for instance you'll sell maybe the interest rate dropping maybe you put a timeline um, and date in there meaning you know we will sell sometime you know in the next three years and if we haven't made a decision that you know when three years hit we will sell the house something that triggers automatically because in these really loose agreements where it doesn't say you know, should something need if something happens, then it will be sold. You you're gonna have trouble going to the court to ask the court to make an order because you can't say that the spouse isn't following the order because the order doesn't say that they have to do anything. It says they have to mutually agree. And but for that mutual agreement, you know, there's no order to sell the house. So you'd have to go in and you're gonna have to relitigate that uh, part of your divorce case and try and get something, you know, some orders going on. In this case that we had this week. It was a five-year-old case. They had uh, written a very loosely written agreement that they would, you know, continue to co-own the home. And uh, husband has been living in the house. Wife has been renting, and she's saying, "Well, you know, at this point, I want to, you know, either I want to move into it and I'll buy you out, or uh, I want to sell the home, and get the proceeds, so I can have the money to buy my own home." And the order, the court order that they signed, the agreement related to the house doesn't say any of those options. They're not agreeing. He's not agreeing to move out. He has been paying the mortgage. So there, you know, there's that benefit of, you know, the, the mortgage being paid down and, um, you know, the home prices have gone up obviously the last five years. So that's all well and good, but the order is not clear on what should happen if one wants to sell. And so now they're going to have to go to court and they're going to have to petition the court to say, look, this isn't fair or whatever they're going to do. I had to refer them to attorneys uh, to get a consultation to see what they think uh, they can get. So, uh, Short story or the key takeaway on that is be a little bit more specific. And this is not just related to homes, but anything you guys are going to co-own into the future, have some uh, specific deadlines or timelines built in. So if you know this date crosses, it's not a forever action. Number three, what is a minute order? So a minute order is not something that our clients generally are coming across uh, a minute order is um, an order drafted by the clerk after some type of court action. In many cases, if it's going to be related to our clients, it's because their case isn't moving uh, through the process fast enough. In some cases, most of our, if you watch my content, you know, most of our cases are done in five weeks or so. Um, so these, these status conferences don't usually come up until around the four or five or six month mark, depending on what uh, county you're in. But um, if you do get them, it's usually some type of court action. So in, in these cases, it would be uh, usually a status conference hearing. If the case is not meeting certain benchmarks on time frame, the, the automatic trigger uh, will be set that will generate a status conference hearing. You'll get a notification to show up. And it's not a trial. It's not that any decisions have to be made. It's just that the court's going to bring you guys in and say, what's going on? Do you need help? Why isn't, why aren't, is, why isn't it moving uh, moving forward? And just to give you kind of a, a progress update. So uh, not a big deal. Um, most of the people that uh, get these are not appearing at them. 
and it's not a big deal. They're not going to terminate your case. I'm not telling or not going to uh, uh, cancel your case. They could if you didn't show, but they're not usually doing that. Um, but I don't recommend that you skip out on them. Uh, just usually you'll get at least a couple of weeks notice for the hearing. It's going to say something like, hey, you haven't turned in your proof of service. If you turn in the proof of service, uh, you know, you're not going to have to appear. So just do that. If you haven't, uh, I think the next one that comes up is is the default. If you haven't turned in the default in a certain period of time, they're going to say turn in the default or show up to the hearing. So there are ways of getting out of it. Uh, we usually just will file the document necessary to keep our clients from having to go uh, to court because no one likes to go to court. It's a complete waste of time if you're going through an amicable divorce and our clients don't have to go to court because we bypass that whole process. Number four, fee waivers. So there's been an update to the fee waiver process with the courts. They now on the fee waiver request, it's FW-001. The fee waivers now have a checkbox that if you're unemployed, it's an automatic qualifier to have your fees waived. And this is new because for as long as I've been doing this 11 years now, if you're unemployed, you can write unemployment, but you still had to show proof of income. You still had to show your family income because they look at all incomes within the household. So that would, if you're living with your spouse, that would include their income as well. But um, And so we still had to have a, a financial um, fee waiver request where we had to show what the earnings are of the household, what the expenses are. And those generally would not get approved even when one spouse is on unemployment. So with this now checkbox, there's a section where it's automatic. Um, there's automatic qualifiers for the fee waiver previously and, and still are is things like being on um, Medi-Cal or receiving um, government assistance or, you know, like food stamps. I know that's not the word, um, but getting some type of financial assistance um, because the audit, those show if you're receiving those types of, of you know, state benefits, they obviously your income is at a level that would qualify you for the fee waiver. So when we would mark those boxes on the fee waiver, we had to provide no financials, didn't have to show how much rent was, income, nothing. It's a very simple fee waiver. The um, unemployment box is now there, and we have filed a few now where we just marked the box, and it's and it, you get your fees waived. So a little trick on that is if you and your spouse are amicable and one of you is on unemployment, have the spouse on unemployment do the filing. Therefore, the fees will get waived and then you don't have any fees in your court or in your case because you're not going to file a response and then you won't have any fees at all. We just had a case where we're doing that today. The the uh, wife hired us. You work with both spouses in all in all cases. But when I found out the husband was on unemployment, I said, hey, let's file in his name and that way they can avoid all their fees. Okay, number five, I had a call from someone in a bad circumstance saying that her spouse had abandoned her and she wasn't working at the time and had to go get work. But what's going on is she's filing for divorce. She left me a long several minute message. She's filing, she has filed for divorce. She did a service by posting her publication because she doesn't know her husband is, totally took off and disappeared. But, uh, and I didn't know how long they were married, but she's asking for spouse support. And her question was, how can I ask for spouse support if I don't know where my spouse is? So let me walk you through this process. She's filed. It's been served, essentially. But because it was served by publication slash posting, her husband has no idea that there's a case being filed. So And she doesn't know where he is. So let's say, so that her next step is going to be to submit a default judgment to the court. Default without an agreement and make a request for spouse support. Now, the problem that's going to pose is 
the judgment will likely get rejected because you have to establish the income of the parties to be able to the court to make that calculation for your proposed amount of spouse support. And without proof of any income, it's very difficult for the court to do that. So for LA County, there's a, what I recommend you do if you're turning in and I forget your name, I'm doing this video for you, turn in your default judgment package. I think you're in LA County and turn it in with a what's called a request for prove up hearing. A prove up means they are doing it's a default prove up and other counties will have a similar document, but it'll allow you to get into court with your judgment. So instead of them just rejecting your judgment, saying we can't establish, you know, spouse support because we don't have the incomes or whatever issue they they state, you can do the prove up hearing with it's a judgment prove up. You go into court, they have your proposed judgment, and then they can ask you questions, get you on the record, get some testimony as to how, you know, the status of the marriage, how much did your husband make during um, the marriage, you know, you okay, you don't know where he's at. Next problem is, let's say you do get an order for spousal support, um, you have that court order, how are you going to get paid? If your spouse isn't working, you, you know, there might be an order, but if your spouse isn't working, there's no money to be paid there. Um, so your next step would be you're going to have to do some research on your former spouse. Once you have your judgment in your divorce that has includes your spouse's support agreement or some sorry, not agreement, but order from the court. You're going to have to hire a, you know, um, an investigator. You're going to have to do some Google search and you're going to have to find where they are working. Uh, you know, they can get, you know, prior tax returns and things like that. You know, find a, a good private investigator to find out where they're at and where they're working. So you can serve the income withholding order on the employer. So you can start getting that, that support. It's very difficult. True default defaults without agreements are a very difficult process to begin with. Add in any other situation, like you want a spouse support or child support, or if kids are involved and if there's, if there's kids and you're doing custody, it, it's a big issue. Um, it can be a big issue if you do your paperwork wrong on a default without an agreement including the division of assets and debts, which the courts will generally require it be divided 50-50, even if it isn't actually, um, wouldn't be the right thing to do normally because of whatever circumstances you might have. So thanks for joining us for today's Daily Perspective, Episode 5, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.